Welcome back to the Imblex Test Prep Podcast. My name is David. I am your host on this magical journey in which we discuss the Imblex. And uh, I give you a little bit of information that could help you possibly pass the Imblex. So uh, today we are going to discuss the heart. Uh, and I know that's something that a lot of people have a difficult time grasping. So we'll talk about the heart a little bit before we get started. Uh, I do have study guides available for the Mblex. To order a study guide, just go to my website, mblextestprep.com. Click on the study guides link. That'll take you to all of the study guides I have available. You can order those on Amazon. If you have ordered a study guide of mine, uh, whether it be the uh, regular Mblex test prep study guide, the 10 Mblex pra practice tests and flashcards uh, guide, or the Kinesiology Made Easy book. If you have ordered any of those, please, I, I do ask that you consider leaving a review on Amazon for me. Reviews go a long way, again, towards helping me make a living and would be much appreciated. Now, where was I? So we are today uh, going to discuss the heart, not so much the cardiovascular system as a whole, just the structures of the heart and how blood flows through the heart. So try to take some notes if you can, um, try to follow along. I know it's, it's always easier when you can actually see it if you have a picture of the heart available. Definitely take a look at it and follow along. So before we begin, I'm going to take a brief break. And coming up, uh, I have a song to take us to our next segment, performed by my close personal friend, Brian Titus. You can check him out um, on iTunes, stuff like that, YouTube. Uh, just look for Brian Titus trio because there are three of them brian titus trio here is brian titus and we'll be right back so we've come too far to walk away Some hopes along the way. So please push a little further on. Alright, so let's get started discussing the heart. So the heart is a muscle made out of cardiac muscle. Uh, the only place in the body you find cardiac muscle is the heart, and cardio means heart. So the function of the cardiac muscle is to contract and move blood through the heart and then out to the rest of the body with enough force where that blood can actually return to the heart. So really powerful contractions, especially on the left side of the heart. Uh, that's, that's where those contractions occur that shoot the blood out to the rest of the body 
ensuring that it has enough force to return back to the heart. So left side of the heart, very, very powerful. So let's talk about the flow of blood through the heart and all of the major parts of the heart that blood flows through uh, in order. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about arteries and veins. So let's start with arteries. Uh, arteries are blood vessels. They are they're the deepest forms of blood vessels in our body. So they're really deep inside of our body because they're really important. Arteries almost always carry oxygenated blood, blood that has oxygen uh, attached to the erythrocytes. So that's, that's really important when we need to get nutrients, such as blood, to the rest of the body. If tissue doesn't get oxygen, um, it will die, right? That's called necrosis. So if a tissue does not get oxygen, it will die. So arteries, very important. Veins, uh, really quick, arteries also only travel in one direction, and that is away from the heart. And that's what defines an artery versus a vein. It's not the oxygen content of the blood. It's which direction the blood vessel is taking the blood that makes it either an artery or a vein. So, I mean, 99% of the time, arteries carry oxygenated blood. 99% of the time, veins carry deoxygenated blood. But that's not, again, not what defines an artery or a vein. It's only the, the direction that they are taking blood in relation to the heart. So arteries carry blood away from the heart. And that's pretty easy to remember. A, match up the A, an artery with A in a way. So arteries carry blood away from the heart. Veins carry blood towards the heart. So they bring blood back to the heart. So talking about the structure of the heart and how blood flows through it, blood returns to the heart through um, two pretty big veins. Because again, these are veins bringing blood to the heart. So we have two of them, uh, both with kind of the same same name, just a little, little different in, in the first word. So one is above the other. So let's think of our directional terms. Above. What is the medical term for above? Think of our, our directional terms. Above. If something is above another structure, it is superior to it. So the other structure would be opposite of superior is inferior. So we have a superior, and these are these are the largest veins in the body, the superior vena cava and the inferior vena cava. So the superior vena cava brings blood back to the heart from the head and the upper limbs. The inferior vena cava brings blood back to the heart from the trunk and the lower limbs. And the inferior vena cava is one of only a few structures that actually pass through the diaphragm. Um, just kind of a side note there. So the blood from the superior vena cava and the inferior vena cava come together and then enter the heart into one of the four heart chambers. So blood always enters into the heart through the atria. 
But here's a question. Which side of the heart does blood first enter into? Now, I know looking at a picture, you might say the left side because it's on the left side of the picture, but turn that around, it is the right side. So blood enters the heart from the superior vena cava and the inferior vena cava into the right atrium. So the atrium is kind of a big opening, uh, open space. So that's where blood enters the heart into. So at this point, the blood is deoxygenated. It's rich in carbon dioxide, lacking a bit in oxygen. So it needs to travel to the lungs to get more oxygen and get rid of the carbon dioxide, which is the waste. So to do that, it needs to travel from the right atrium through a valve into the next chamber. Now that valve that separates the atrium from the ventricle has a specific name, a couple specific names actually. Uh, let's see. This valve has three flaps that produce it, and that's kind of where it gets its name. So the medical term for three is tri. So the rest of the, 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 rest of the word, tricuspid. It's a tricuspid valve. Cusp means point, so it has three points. Uh, and the function of the valves between the atria and the ventricles is to prevent blood from flowing backwards. So when the ventricle contracts, it shoots blood out the heart. And that puts a lot of pressure on the valve. And what the valve does when that contracts, all this blood is kind of kind of rushing through the ventricle and it puts a lot of pressures. So the valve kind of creates a kind of, it, it kind of looks like a parachute. Um, but that keeps blood from flowing backwards in the heart into the atria. And that's, that's definitely not good. Um, you could lose a lot of nutrients that way. A lot of oxygen can be lost that way, especially if it happens on the left side of the heart. If blood starts flowing backwards because of a prolapsed um, uh, valve, a prolapsed valve, a valve not functioning and, and kind of going backwards, uh, that, that's basically called a heart murmur. And that can lead to conditions uh, like you're, you, you might not get enough oxygen, so you could have hypoxia. Uh, you get winded really easily. Uh, blood clots could start to form in the atria because you got a, a bunch of blood sitting there instead of having it travel efficiently through those chambers. So not a good thing. So the valves prevent blood from flowing backwards in the heart. So blood will flow from the right atrium through the tricuspid. The other name for the tricuspid valve, before I forget, is the right atrioventricular valve. So it's the valve between the atrium and the ventricle. Uh, atrioventricular valve. Uh, travels through that valve and ends up in the right ventricle. So again, when the ventricles contract, it sends blood shooting out the heart. So where do you think the blood is going at this point? Remember, it's, it's deoxygenated blood. There's not a whole lot of oxygen in that blood. There's a lot of carbon dioxide in that blood, which is a waste product. How do we, as humans, get rid of carbon dioxide? We get rid of carbon dioxide by exhaling. 
So to get rid of the carbon dioxide, the blood needs to travel to the lungs. So when the right ventricle contracts, it sends blood shooting out the heart through a blood vessel named after the lungs. Think of the medical term for lung. Medical term for lung is pulmonary. Now, what type of blood vessel do you think this is? It's carrying deoxygenated blood, right? But that doesn't matter. That's not what defines an artery or a vein, right? What defines an artery or a vein is which direction it's taking blood in relation to the heart. So because this blood vessel is taking blood away from the heart to the lungs, it is an artery. So this blood vessel is called the pulmonary artery. And there are two of them, pulmonary arteries, because we have two lungs, we have pulmonary arteries. So one goes to each lung. So when the blood travels to the, through the pulmonary arteries, it reaches the lungs, the blood, the red blood cells, will travel through microscopic capillaries uh, which run over the surface of the alveoli in the lungs. And the alveoli is where gas exchange occurs. So the alveoli will pull the oxygen or uh, pull the carbon dioxide off of the erythrocytes and then oxygen will attach to the erythrocytes. So an erythrocyte can't carry both at once. It's either one or the other. So it gets rid of the carbon dioxide and then oxygen attaches to the erythrocytes. After that, the blood is sent back to the heart through, through other blood vessels. Now the, ox, the, the blood is oxygenated at this point. But is that what defines an artery or a vein? Again, does not matter if the blood has oxygen or not. It's which direction the blood vessel is taking the blood that makes it an artery or vein. So because these blood vessels are traveling towards the heart, they are veins. So these are the veins that return the blood from the lungs to the heart are called the pulmonary veins. Again, you have two pulmonary veins because you have two lungs. Okay, so they come together and empty blood back into the heart into which chamber? And there is an easy way to remember this. Just got to think of the alphabet. So we have two different types of chambers, right? An atrium and a ventricle. Just think of the alphabet. A comes before V in the alphabet. So the atrium, blood always enters the heart into the atrium before it gets to the ventricle. So blood at this point, oxygenated blood, travels through the pulmonary veins and enters back into the heart, into the left atrium. And at this point, it's pretty similar to the other side. So in between the atrium and the ventricle, we have another valve. And this, this valve actually has three names. Uh, the first name is the left atrioventricular valve because it's on the left side of the heart. And it's between the atrium and the ventricle, left atrioventricular valve. Another name, kind of like the, the name of the one on the other side, the valve on the other side, the tricuspid valve, the other name is the bicuspid valve because it only has two flaps. And that's partially the reason why it's more prone to prolapsing uh, 
is it's just not as strong, doesn't have as many attachments as the right uh, atrioventricular valve, the tricuspid valve. So the left side of the heart is where you usually have some sort of defect with that valve. If you have a defect with a heart valve, that's usually where it takes place, and that's where heart murmurs come into play. So another name for this valve, again, I said there are three, is the mitral valve. Not many people know what, uh, what it's referring to when we talk about the mitral valve. The name of the Pope's hat is called a mitre, M-I-T-R-E. The mitral valve, at a specific angle, kind of looks like the Pope's hat. I know, it's a really weird name. Uh, you just got to remember, back in the day when people were actually dissecting uh, cadavers and stuff and, and starting to name all of these structures, um, a lot of it happened in Rome, in Italy, and they named things after what they were familiar with, and back then, Pope really popular, they named that valve after the Pope's hat because it looked kind of like, kind of like the Pope's hat. So the left atrioventricular valve is the bicuspid valve, is the mitral valve. So make sure you know all three of those names. Definitely, uh, you can see any of them on your exam. Just, just make sure you know all of them. So blood travels from the left atrium through the bicuspid or mitral valve or left atrioventricular valve into the left ventricle. And here, as I was discussing earlier, is where we have a really powerful contraction of cardiac muscle. So that, that cardiac muscle contracts so hard that it's got to send the blood all the way out the heart to all of the rest of the body and then bring it all the way back up to the heart. So really, really powerful contraction. So when the left ventricle contracts, it's, it does send blood out the heart through the largest artery in the body, and it starts with an A. This artery is called the aorta, and the aorta is the largest artery in the body. In the body, So the aorta will come up and then angle down past the heart and become the abdominal aorta. And then once it, once it reaches the pelvis, it branches off into two separate blood vessels that then supply the lower legs, um, the lower limbs, I should say, with blood. And then that blood comes back up the limb and enters the inferior vena cava and then goes all the way back up to the heart and the process begins again. So the aorta also, to supply blood to the head and the upper limb, also has three branches that branch off. You don't necessarily need to know the names of those, but they do branch off right at the top of the aorta, and that supplies the head and the upper limb with blood. So definitely important. So those are the main structures that you need to know that are part of the heart. Now I'll, I'll give you kind of an easy way to remember the structures on the side of the heart. Essentially, they're the same. There are two sides of the heart, right? A left side and a right side, and they all have the same structures. So it all starts with a vein, right? So we got the superior vena cava, inferior vena cava, that's the vein. And then the blood enters an atrium, 
and then between the atrium and the ventricle, you have a valve, and then you have the ventricle, and then the ventricle sends the blood out the body through an artery. So the left side, superior and inferior vena cava, to the right atrium, to the tricuspid valve, to the right ventricle, to the pulmonary artery. Vein, atrium, valve, ventricle, artery. Let's do the left side now. So blood returns to the heart through the pulmonary veins, enters into the left atrium, then goes through the bicuspid or mitral valve into the left ventricle and out the body through the largest artery in the body, the aorta. So again, on the left side, we got vein, atrium, valve, ventricle, artery. V-A-V-V-A. -V -V just remember that. And then just kind of remember which structures are on each side, and that makes the heart so much easier to remember, doesn't it? Definitely not as confusing when you can break it down into smaller portions, into more manageable portions. Then you definitely start to understand a little bit more. So again, that is the heart. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will have a test question. We will discuss this test question and how to get this question correct if you were to possibly see it on the MLEX. So we'll be right back. Welcome back. We are ready to do what I call question of the week, where I read you a test question written by me and only me, and we discuss how to get this question right, and of course you'll get the answer, but you should be able to figure it out on your own as we're discussing it. All right, so here is the question. I'll read it a couple times for you. If a client experiences lower back pain due to a hypertonic psoas major, while in the supine position, a bolster should be placed A. Under the knees B. Under the ankles C. Between the legs D. Under the hips So what you want to do when you are reading a question is identify the key words. That's one of the first things that you should do. Uh, even if you already know the answer to this question, it's not that difficult of a question. You still kind of play along. So the what you need to do is identify the keywords. So the keywords are the words that you put emphasis on when you are reading the test, uh, the test question. So I'm going to read it aloud again. Now this is something you should be able to practice in your head uh, without hearing my voice. Uh, so any any test question you get, practice this. Keywords are words that tell you what the question is asking. Those are the words that you really need to focus on. And again, they're the words that you put emphasis on when you read them. So I'll read this question again. If a client experiences lower back pain due to a hypertonic psoas major while in the supine position, a bolster should be placed. 
So there are a few words in there that uh, could be considered keywords. Um, lower back pain, that's, it, that's kind of a keyword, key, key terms, whatever. Um, it, you know, knowing that it's, that it's a hypertonic psoas major, not really that important, honestly. A lot of test questions have information in them that's just kind of filler. And it wants to make sure that you can actually identify the important information and then answer it accordingly. So I can I can even take that out. So let's read it without that in that little bit of information. If a client experiences lower back pain while in the supine position, a bolster should be placed. So more keywords. Supine position and then it's it's obviously asking about bolster so bolster would be a keyword so here's a fun thing that I can do that's kind of a long test question right I figured out I can completely eliminate a bunch of words from that and it can still be the same question ready here we go while in the supine position a bolster should be placed so you see what I did there? I completely eliminated if a client experiences lower back pain due to a hypertonic psoas major and made it just a short, simple question. I identified what it was asking. It's basically asking, where do you put a bolster if the client is supine? It's just that easy. So what do you think? If a client experiences lower back pain due to a hypertonic psoas major while in the supine position, a bolster should be placed. Let me read it again, shortened. While in the supine position, a bolster should be placed. A, under the knees. B, under the ankles. C, between the legs. Or D, under the hips. Now when we identify those key words, we actually need to know what what the terms are so I mean that's why we study so supine if if your client is laying supine are they face up or are they face down if your client is supine they're going to be face up so where would you put a bolster if your client is face up on your table under the ankles no, that would be kind of weird. That would put a lot of pressure on the on the knees, maybe cause a little bit of hyperextension of the knees. I mean, not not acute hyperextension, just you know, just put too much pressure on them in that position. Between the legs? No, that would be weird. If your client's just laying face up. Now, between the legs is something you want to do if your client's side lying, but not if they're supine, right? Under the hips? I don't know, face up under the hips seems to seems to seems to me that that would put even more pressure on the lower back, which is what we don't want. Right? We want to take pressure off the lower back, which is why we put a bolster, which is why we bolster our clients in the first place. So the correct answer would be A under the knees. If your client is supine, you put a bolster under the knees to take pressure off the lower back because they could potentially have tightness in the psoas major or the iliacus that's kind of pulling uh, on the on the low back 
and might be a little discomfortable. Dis discomfortable. I think I just invented a word. Discomfortable. Uh, my it 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 might not be very comfortable to your client if they don't have a bolster under their knees when they're laying supine. There, I fixed it. So the correct answer to this question, if a client experiences lower back pain due to a hypertonic psoas major while in the supine position, a bolster should be placed A, under the knees. You could also potentially place a bolster under their head or under their neck, but mainly under the knees. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes another edition of the MBLEX Test Prep Podcast. Again, my name is David. If you have any questions, please send me an email at massagetestprep at gmail.com. I am always available. If I don't answer, there's definitely a good reason why, so I apologize if it takes a minute. Make sure you check out my website, mblexttestprep.com. Uh, check out the study guides. Order one if you haven't already. Please leave a review if you have on amazon.com. Again, reviews go a long way, uh, and I appreciate every single one. Other than that, we will see you next week.